Hello and welcome to HIV Matters Podcast. My name is Michelle Croston and as your host I will be facilitating interesting conversations with leading experts in the field of HIV care. The conversations will be centred around exploring ways to improve quality of life for people living with HIV. Throughout my career I've always had a keen interest in any initiatives to improve outcomes for people living with HIV which has led me to work with a variety of different organisations, with different healthcare professionals and activists. Here at HIV Matters, we hope to use our unique perspectives and platforms to improve knowledge and understanding with regards to HIV. In order to do this, we will engage in conversations with people living with HIV, people who have worked in the HIV sector, and sometimes a mixture of both. We hope you enjoy the episode and if you have any ideas or questions on this or future episodes, please contact us at hello at hivmatters.co.uk. You can also follow us on Instagram at hivmatterspodcast or visit our website at www.hivmatterspodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and comment on our show. Today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Jenny Kendrick and Nathaniel Paul. The past couple of years have been a significant challenge for all involved in HIV care, in particular people living with HIV, accessing care services in different ways. Also, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of anecdotal evidence that people were being forced to inform people and employees of their HIV status to ensure that they were protected from COVID-19 in the workplace. There's also a wealth of information out there around how vulnerable people feel to stigma and also significant research available and data and statistics around stigma and also how highly prevalent HIV stigma is and how much it impacts on people accessing and receiving care. So thank you so much both for agreeing to be part of HIV Matters and I'm really excited about the great conversations we're going to have. So thank you so much and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us, Michelle. It's, it's, a, it's an honour. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm just super excited. So forgive me all if I'm a little bit giddy as we start off, because this is a conversation I know that we all want to have and our listeners are really interested in. So today's theme for the HIV Matters podcast is around stigma and some great work that both Nathaniel and Jenny have been involved in in Manchester. So I think we all know the past couple of years have been a significant challenge for everybody that's been involved in HIV care. And I think for me, at the start of the pandemic, there was lots of alarming reports that were coming out about people living with HIV, thinking that they needed to tell employees about their status and also how that may kind of have played out as a result of kind of the COVID pandemic and feeling that they needed to get the support that they needed. Now I know the pandemic seems like a long time ago but I think you know the issue of stigma and people feeling vulnerable about stigma is you know still ever present and something that we talk a lot about on HIV matters. So I'm rambling on a little bit about stigma but I want to hear from you guys about this great work that you've been undertaking to try and help with that. Jen you kick off you you say where it all came from and then I'll talk about my involvement. Perfect. Thanks, Nathaniel. So yeah, it was um, an idea of ours that we've had for quite a while, actually. We've tried to submit business cases before to raise awareness for people living with HIV 
and to try and tackle issues such as stigma that we've um, kind of heard from from our cohort within the clinic. Um, so this time around, we had um, part of it was HIV eradication, which kind of linked into fast track cities eventually. Uh, it was a meeting after COVID that we had X amount of money left over because we couldn't provide. We had a campaign in Manchester to um, raise awareness of HIV in communities, but also HIV testing. Due to COVID, those testing events didn't occur. And so therefore, we had quite a, a significant amount of money that we had to use or else we would lose. So obviously, the kind of consultants and the people came together and one of the first ideas we wanted to do a training module for healthcare workers. So, um, and that is to reduce stigma towards people living with HIV. So we kind of set the balls in motion really and we had only a, quite a set period of time. I think we literally had probably about three or four months to get this done because we would lose the funding otherwise. So we had one of our consultants, Dr. McQuillan, is very much when things need to get done, she's the person to do it really. So we're very fortunate we had her on our kind of to get the ball moving. So um, we came together with uh, George House Trust, who are a local um, HIV vulture organisation that um, we work very well in Manchester. And all had done some work with yourself, Nathaniel, hadn't you, before, and know that it's a good, we can use the kind of um, the production side of what Nathaniel does in his work to try and get an overall healthcare plus, you know, charity, voluntary sector involvement. So kind of everyone together, really. So we, the healthcare side of us, the nurses from across Manchester, we came together, which was a first in its kind of in its kind of making, really, because we'd never had the opportunity now that our trust has kind of merged. So we came together and we wrote the module, and then we asked very kindly if Nathaniel would help out with George House Trust and the Positive Speaker Program. So um, that's where we kind of got everyone involved gave the information as what we wanted and what we felt was needed. And then Nathaniel and George Trust came in and helped us create the kind of, um, well, the, the, real, the, the reality of what stigma affects, how it affects people living with HIV, which we felt was more important than us just reeling off stats and reeling off what patients have said to us. So I'll hand over to Nathaniel and he can tell you what he managed to do. You've first. just reminded me how like how quickly we did turn it around. And you're right. And I think yeah. that was actually to our benefit because because I know particularly in like healthcare and stuff, everyone's, you know, so overstretched. This sort of stuff is like bottom of the list. And, you know, there's so many people contribute. I was remembering those email threads and they just like would go on and on and on. I couldn't really keep up. Um, but. I think it was great that we had that deadline because it just made us like we worked really, really fast and kind of really effectively. Um, but yeah, I um, I came on board to help bring the patient voice into um, into the project. And I'm, you know, I'm I've lived with HIV for nearly twenty years. Can you believe? Um, and um, and and you know, in my work, I've told my own story very publicly on stage um, and you know on television. And so I do a lot of work with other people to help them tell their stories. And I'd made a series of um, 
creative short films with people with lived experience telling their own stories and 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 you know, I was really interested in this project because I I knew that I could help pull out some of the really important stuff one of the really difficult things it, when you're working with real people with lived experience is 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 kind of drawing out what you need for the project but also honoring their stories and the space for them to talk freely and openly and also to have the right to withhold stuff that they might not want to talk about as well so i think it was really important to have someone like myself not necessarily me but someone like myself with lived experience of hiv but also with the experience of working with the people with the same condition having that relationship with those people um you know the people that that we use in the video were people i've known for a number of years so it didn't have that feeling of being like i, I as a as a theater maker and an artist i really hate this idea that i might go in like a journalist with a microphone and ask someone to kind of tell me their pain like it's not how i work so i think it was really important and all the people in the in that we used um were people i've known for a number of years where i have a really good relationship and i have most of them on you know i've got their phone numbers we text each other all the time so there was a real element of trust and they knew that their stories were going to be used in a positive way to to help tackle stigma and so they felt comfortable to maybe go to some of those places that they might be hard for them to go to because i always talk about stigma is such a hard concept to grasp unless you feel stigmatized and stigma is like this invisible force that controls your life it's like this invisible fear that makes you make decisions or do things that you don't quite understand about yourself until you start to unpick it um and stigma stops people with hiv um often stops them from being able to talk openly in, in clinical settings because particularly for me, I go back to the clinic and I go back to being a 16 year old boy. Like I almost feel like my feet don't touch the floor when I sit on the bed. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of like re-traumatization, this sort of PTSD kind of feeling. And so then you sort of forget the things that you need to talk about or, you know, and and so I think that's what we did. These, these uh, we made some short films that were embedded within the training and they give real context to the important stuff like the stat statistics and you know and about how to um uh with with giving giving people some kind of ideas about how to maybe improve their standards of care you know um and how to preemptively be ready for the moment when somebody comes into their clinic and says i'm hiv positive and you're ready for that moment not going oh okay what do i need to do and you because as a clinician you or a carer you need to your your patient or the person you're caring for needs to feel 100% safe and secure in your hands. So I, I was really pleased and proud of the work that we did, um, and yeah, and, ama and amazed at like how Orla, Dr. Orla McQuillan, pulled it all together with so many people contributing. It was it was no mean feat. Yeah, no, she's and, and you definitely can't say no to her. So you're just like, yes, That's what, <laughs> you yeah. it's, what, it's what you need driving a project forward. It's like, oh, thank you both so much for sharing that experience. And it does sound like a fabulous project and definitely very, very needed. And I think, you know, lots of things that you've mentioned there. And I think COVID was a great way, although, it, you know, to kind of cut through some of the decision by committee, you was able to get straight through to what you needed to and involve the people who needed to be in. And kind of just picking up on one of your points, Nathaniel, as a nurse educator, I think it's really powerful when we hear those experiences, but also giving people the voice to have those um, experiences without being re-traumatised as well. So it sounds like it, it was ideal place to help give people that support.
but also with voice as well. So it sounds like an amazing project. So I know, Jenny, that this has been a dream within HIV care for for a long time now to have a resource like this. I'm just wondering if maybe might be a tough question, but for either of you, do you think how how do you think this will impact uh, people living with HIV? I mean, I would hope that it would make people feel more comfortable in accessing healthcare, which is the key. You know, our, we are outpatient nurses here, so our key is to keep people healthy and keep them out of hospital. And the problem we have is that people are scared to come into hospital because of how they are treated, which is, as a nurse, you know, it's it's horrific to think that someone wouldn't want to come to hospital amongst other nurses, you know, and other healthcare staff. But the reality of it is it's true. You know, we have multiple patient stories that are heartbreaking, really, is to, to think that, you know, people that work in your hospital alone, you know, would make someone feel so, you know, unwanted or, you know, feel like they're ashamed of themselves, which, you know, it should not ever happen. So um, our hope and what we hope we'll do is just make people think, you know, and think about who they're talking to. And it doesn't matter if it's about HIV or if it's about what they do, you know, their life choices, because ultimately they're just someone that needs to be looked after at the end of the day for whatever reason. I think we have a lot of, especially where we are in Manchester, there's multi cultural diverse populations that it doesn't matter who is in front of you that they deserve the care that the next person does so our hope is that we would get people to say to think and to just treat people with the respect and the kindness that they deserve really um which is one of the there's there's lots of things that you want to happen you you know if we could change the way that everyone thought that would be the key but we know that that's not going to happen which is why we tried to make, or we, it, it is, will be mandatory. So we want the people that we know that would access it are the ones that are, are interested in learning about HIV and that are interested in how to be better at their job. Um, the people that won't access it are the ones that we need to access it because they're the ones that, for whatever reason, don't think HIV affects them and why do they need to know about HIV? So. There's a lot to go off there, isn't there? Yeah, I think I think for for me, what the what the resource does really, really well is quite you know quite rightly, clinicians and and, and healthcare workers, you know, are focused on HIV, are focused on the healthcare, you know, they're focused on getting the blood done, you know, getting it off to the lab, checking those things, checking you know all those things that they need to do to make sure that you're healthy. But I think what the resource reminds people is that that actually HIV and HIV stigma intersects with a, per a person and who that person is and how they move through the world affects how their how their HIV and their their mental well-being around the HIV so what you see really clearly is the with with the stories is how that intersects with with race with sexuality with gender with you know kind of class um uh with uh homelessness or you know or it and it's really important i think to remind to gently remind 
healthcare workers all the time that yeah the job is really stressful and fast paced but there are people sat you know in those rooms and they are people and they have a lot going on and sometimes you're you're that that moment where they get to be able to release some of that tension or let some of that out and that's i think that's what it does really really well i mean you know stigma is rife still i mean just today uh, terence higgins trust have tweeted that the royal college of surgeons had a um uh, an exam question which was extremely homophobic it said you are taking the blood of a homosexual man and you get a needle stick injury which of these uh, transmissible infections are you more, most likely to get um and then listed b hep c hiv malaria or whatever um i mean they've 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 come back very quickly and said we're investigating how this slipped through but it just shows you it's still there it's still out there um and not just not just not just the quiet subtle things there are still some big things going on as well within healthcare so this resource is so important so so important gosh i can't remember actually a little bit speechless by that nathaniel so thank you i couldn't i couldn't i could not believe it literally my, my jaw was on the floor yeah. so no and i think that's you know quite a very sobering moment within HIV care we've come along such a massive journey and I know we've had lots of different guests on the show and you know Angelina Nambia always says you know there isn't a pill for stigma you know it, you know and actually in we're going same messages like you equals you but then we have that and just like gosh I can't even begin to process that these these things are still out there so thank you for that So we've talked a lot on the HIV Matters podcast about It's a Sin, so I hope you don't mind. We're going to raise that with you today, Nathaniel. It's just been a huge hit and also lots of talk on the HIV Matters podcast. So I'm just wondering from your point of view, how important do you think the programme was in um, raising issues around HIV? Um, well, I think, you know, the, it was like 20 years too late in a way. <laughs> um, like... I, I, I was a total honour to be involved and, and you know, it's done wonders for my career and I got to meet some amazing, work with some incredible people and, and call them friends for life. And, you know, I think it told the, the, the story of how HIV impacted the gay community in the 1980s has not been told on mainstream television in Britain. It's been told in many, many other countries numerous times, but for, for some reason, there is a stigma perpetuating that stops programmers, you know, and and producers, kind of green light in this story. And I know Russell's been trying for a long time to get this story. So, I, I you know, but I think part of me goes, it was great, it was fantastic, and, and I was really worried actually. Why I saw because of COVID, we didn't have any kind of like glamorous screening. It just got sent to us on like via email, and I just sat and watched it. But I, I, <laughs> so I sat and watched it in my bedroom at home about two weeks before it came out and I was actually really worried because I was like oh my god this is gonna set us right back because you know there is scenes of people drinking battery acid and scrubbing themselves in the shower and you know and burning furniture you know it was just all that awful stuff that we kind of want to forget from the past and I thought is this going to really negatively impact country's kind of understanding and education around HIV but what we saw was the total opposite actually was 
the you know all the charities and healthcare workers and amazing people living with HIV and activists just jumped on this moment and were like here is a chance every I mean literally everyone was talking about it everyone it was just insane even like six weeks afterwards there were still people talking about it on the radio I was like this is crazy it's still like going so it was an amazing opportunity to you know spread the u equals u message and the, you know and how prep is revolutionizing things and how you know how testing has changed and, and break down stigma and i think as the only openly hiv positive member of the cast you know i i felt the weight of responsibility on that you know quite a lot and my my boyfriend had to make a spreadsheet to manage all the media appearances that I had, all the interviews and stuff, because he had to manage my inbox for four weeks. It was insane. So it was crazy time. But um, but you know, I think for me, it was it was fantastic. I would love to see, and I know, like this is one of the reasons why I made my show first time, my stage show. I want to see more contemporary representations of HIV, and the the difficulty is is that you go oh well people live now so there's no drama to be had within that but there absolutely is my life is full of drama I can tell you um, it's better than a, a a week's worth of curry for sure um and I think but I'd, I'd love to see that and I'd love to start seeing more diverse representations as well you know HIV disproportionately affects gay and bisexual men in the UK we know that but globally it's a women's and girls issue you know around 50% of people in HIV in the UK are um heterosexual a third are women you know and we don't really see those stories we don't really see the hiv from the africans perspective from the african perspective so there's there's so much material that would make great drama and comedy and i i, I hope that we start to see some more of that um in the wake of it's a sin as well and i think from what a lot of patients have, have kind of said that they loved it but they would have loved to have seen and i know from reading about it that you would have wanted to have done like fast forward to now and you know it's not the same but you know and that's what a lot of people say oh is that what it's still like now and you're like no so it would you know that's kind of what we want to kind of see because that's what a lot of people still think of and you know it's like what we were talking about at conference when you said you know we want the reversal of the tombstone don't we, we want that tombstone back up again so are gone completely so um but yeah there's still a lot of, of what to go but it was absolutely i know all everyone here or everyone within like the nursing hiv field we're all talking about it so but yeah definitely scope there you go that's a new, new job for you then Nathaniel. well you know my my show first time i'm I, I have been approached by a couple of producers to turn it into something for tv or film but nothing has come of it as yet but i'm writing another show which is the next chapter of my life so it was only semi-autobiographical though um so maybe the two might come together in some sort of tv drama in the future who knows you never know that sounds amazing so um nathaniel for our audience are you able to um provide me with some information so i can drop it in our show description of where we may be able to get some more information about your show yeah, sure. Um, so uh, you, people can go to www.nathanieljhall.co.uk. There you go. Um, <laughs> you can find out a lot about my show on there, but also if people want to, it's not on tour anymore, unfortunately, because um, I've done 100 shows and I've decided to put it to bed. Um, so, uh, but there's a, there is a, a play text available to buy. So if people want to read it, they can, you can buy it on my website. Brilliant. We will definitely put the link to that in our HIV Matters 
book club. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. So Jenna, we've talked a little bit about kind of healthcare professionals and I'm wondering how do you see your role as a specialist nurse with with regards to improving stigma and raising awareness? I mean, I think our key, or like our, we've got the knowledge and the, you know, experience of working with so many different, you know, walks of lives that live with HIV that I think ours is the education tool, really. You know, we can help. This is, obviously, we've got the stigma module, which is what we're wanting for people to do. But then on the back of that, we've also said, we'll come down, we'll do some, you know, a, a teaching session, you know, just one-on-one or one-on however many people want to come, you know. So it's kind of delivering that, taking it a bit further, really, um, and expanding it out of, so obviously we're a big hospital trust, but it needs to get further than that. You know, we need to get to GP practices, we need to get to dentists all over, really, anywhere, um, which, you know, we are trying, and I know um, work with so there's a positive speaker program from George House Trust and that we've worked with them and kind of giving we started A&E testing so they worked with us to kind of go through you know a bit more of an in-depth kind of educational session really um, and just explaining to people that they don't have to know everything they, they can call us but at least start conversations in a you know, in a respectful manner. That's all people want is a bit of respect, isn't it, really? So, um, and then, as I say, if they don't know the answers, they're always here. So, and then kind of go from there, really, and see where that leads us. But I think you definitely want to get onto the wards, you know, and, and speak to them and speak to the other patients are on the ward as well. So that's what we hope for. That was, that was one of the... Uh, kind of case studies that came up was was Jim who who had some ne- really negative experiences on wards um you know and where his HIV status was disclosed uh, you know publicly very loudly you know or talked about and he was like you do understand these curtains aren't soundproof <laughs> um and then you know you know he's open about his HIV status but there's an assumption by clinicians that he wants to be open in that environment he's on that ward with people he doesn't know he has to you know he doesn't know those people on the beds next to him he might not want to have to sit there for five days you know with people knowing that information they he said they did people did treat him differently after they found out and then you know and another um instance where the ward nurse wouldn't allow him to have his medication and said it needs to be locked and he was to go to I it's really even if even if there are um, grace windows in terms of when you can take your medication, which a lot of the modern modern medications there are for a lot of people with HIV, that's really anxiety inducing. And knowing that your medication is close by or that you have agency to take it yourself is really important. And that was another thing that he raised. So, you know, there is this this. There's so many layers to this beyond just going like, uh, you know, treat people nicely. It's like actually some systems and processes can be stigmatizing as well. And it's about thinking about how that and, you know, and bringing patient centered care into it, which, you know, which was invented by the HIV world. You know, the idea that the patient is the center of 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 uh, of everything that, that clinicians do. Um, but, yeah, that's why this this resource, I think, is just so important for people to engage with.
I think I think you're right, Nathaniel. I do a lot of work around person-centred parent education. I think it's a model that HIV carers kind of uh, established and we, we continue to learn from as well. So I'm sure by now our listeners are busy thinking, what can I do? What can I do to help with this? So and it might be a tough question, but is there anything, maybe just one small thing or one big thing that maybe our listeners could do to address HIV stigma? Well, I mean, one thing that's kind of almost hot off the press, which is not completely out there yet, but for those working within healthcare, the e-learning is in currently in the training or in the, what is it, in the testing kind of element of e-learning for health. So we've managed to get more funding. So we've managed to get it out there so they can access that. But I think, you know, work with your local voluntary sector you know work with them and and see what they are doing and how they can incorporate that within your own areas really is is a starter listen to what you you know the people that you're seeing under your care listen to what they're experiencing and see where you can go with it you know I think one thing that we learn is the fact that you just got to push and ask questions and not take no for an answer really and work try and work ways in which you can kind of get as much out as you can, you know, as to try and help kind of take on board the messages that what stigma is doing to people living with HIV. And as, as Nathaniel says, you know, it is unfortunately not going away. So we need to educate and stop it really as much as we can do. Yeah, I think for me, my the way that stigma manifested itself in my life in one way was you know was just before the lead up to making you know first time my show my life had really taken a a nosedive you know I was really I was in a really toxic relationship I was um, very I wasn't reliant but I was leaning very very heavily on alcohol and drugs my life was quite in quite a chaotic place I wasn't managing my money properly you know I uh, my career had stagnated just overall you know and it just bit by bit things were falling away and it was because there was this unresolved trauma that needed dealing with and I think as as clinicians and healthcare workers I think it's about thinking about that holistic approach and you know and my clinic's really good at that at going you know how are you how are you coping in your day-to-day life what stresses are there for you at the minute just having that conversation and just kind of being aware that you might start if you start to see some of those things slip it could be because of that that thing that we can't you can't diagnose hiv stigma but it could be that could be a contributing factor to some of those things so you know and i think there's more of that's happening in terms of healthcare generally like we know that health like your physical health and your mental well-being are interlinked um so i think there's that but i think as well um just really simply just go and get yourself clued up like i always say to people like i do speeches now and i don't explain what u equals u is and i don't explain what prep is and i just say you can google it after this session and find out because it's not my job to educate you all the time <laughs> like just take just take five minutes if you don't know what those things are go and find out go and read about them they're incredible you'll want to shout from the rooftops when you find out and then go and tell someone else tell them it might feel weird but tell them while you're having your tea tell your partner and say i just found out this cool thing today about hiv I think you should know and and just just by spreading those those key messages i think you'll be helping fight hiv stigma thank you yeah that's great advice to, to our listeners who i'm sure will be really keen to to see what they can do to help um, as well so nathaniel you mentioned 
or alluded to the fact of some new projects that you're working on. I'm just wondering if you're able to share with our listeners anything that you've got in the pipeline. So I'm super excited waiting for chapter two um, and, and find out how the story is continuing. Um, so you'll, you'll probably see me and Jenny on the front row cheering you on. <laughs> oh, God, it's them two again. Um, but yeah, are you able to share anything with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm working on um, a new show uh, called Toxic um which is um is is like i said before it's only semi-autobiographical but it does it will contain some of my own personal story and i'm i'm kind of looking at the impact of toxic gender norms and um homophobia on uh, gay and bisexual men's relationships um and trying to look with a compassionate lens you know one in four gay and bisexual men will experience domestic abuse in their lifetimes after 16 uh, which is around the same stat as it is for women um it's much lower for heterosexual men so this this i think there's something going on there that needs unpicking and i've been i've been in a re in relationships that have been abusive in the past so i'm trying to unpick some of that it sounds like a laugh a minute but you know what for, i'm really selling it but first time you know a show about getting hiv at 16 doesn't sound like a laugh a minute and you two both seen it and you know it's very funny as well and um, there's humor in even the darkest of places but um th that's coming in in uh, autumn 23 um, so, uh, and that'll be premiering in Manchester and then going on uh, a, a tour across England, potentially the whole of the UK. Um, but also my theatre company, Dibby Theatre, we are subject to its successful funding application, which we're waiting on. Um, we have another project called The Alleyway of Dreams, which will be on in Manchester in uh, February next year um, at 53.2 Theatre. Um, and that is a six person uh, show about the impact of Brexit and rising nationalism um, and uh, um, and the pandemic on a, on a restaurant just off the back of Canal Street, um, a fictional restaurant called Mancini's. Um, so it's very, again, it's a very funny, fast-paced kind of show, but looking at some how those things have impacted people, European migrant workers um, at the LGBTQ community with rising transphobia and um, and homophobia kind of um, coming off the back of some of those things. So yeah, so that'll be coming in February if we get our funding, which we'll find out in a few weeks time. Wow, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? It does sound amazing. I'm keeping everything crossed. Well, we had, we had, we, our first, we got rejected on our first round. So we've, we've resubmitted, so fingers crossed. We'll keep everything crossed. So thank you both for sharing your time and your experiences of de developing this really amazing resource for healthcare professionals. So now is the part of the show that I like just as much as the other part of the show. It's the time where we get to know you both a little bit better. So for our listeners, can you share with us something that you do as part of your self-care? What do I do as my part of my self care? Do you know one of the things I do is I get my hair done. You wouldn't know today because I've not done it today. Um, but like I, I find like going to the hair salon and I like I have my hair like bleached and then like have a color put through it and having it cut. Um, because like a, your 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 gay powers increase when you get a fresh fade. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I always feel better and I always say to hairdressers I thought you know like you they're amazing what they do because you go in and you and then you come out feeling like better than you did when you walked in and you know so I actually do like looking after my myself in some way like treating myself to a haircut or like 
you know, I, I exercise, although I'm not a natural kind of sports person, I have got myself into a good exercise routine, you know, swimming, cycling, and lifting weights, which is really important, not, not just for my physical health, but it really helps with my mental health, because I've um, generalized anxiety and PTSD. So keeping that routine is really important as well. I really don't have a clue, to be honest with you, because I think, you know, I think I've, I've thought about this a lot through in work, really. And one thing would be probably when in work, and then I'll talk about out of work, but in work, for me, it is just talking. Because I, 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 a lot of the times we have to do so much management stuff, you don't get to see the patients. And I've said this to you quite a lot, Michelle, I always kind of feel like I don't get to speak to them. So I've just had to help out in clinic now and like even just speaking to them and little things, you know, like just little tips about how to change, just small things about set an alarm on your phone, then you won't forget your tablets, you know, things like that. And you really do leave quite similar to what you say. They come in, they don't seem very happy. But then by the time they leave, if you can get someone to leave your room and feeling much better and saying, I've just, oh, thank God I've come. I wasn't going to come to my appointment, but I'm glad I did. That's one thing I think is very affirming for me. Um, so that's, I would say, one part of self-care is doing the job that I'm good at, really. And then out of work, obviously, I mean, I'd say definitely family. When they're, on, when they're behaving themselves, when they're not behaving themselves, definitely work. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I'm quite fortunate. I think that, that sometimes you can get quite a good balance you know and I'm very fortunate the job I do I love to do so I don't feel that there's anything that I need a lot of self-caring with outside of work so very wishy-washy probably but it is there's not really a lot quite simple really but um, as long as I get to see the people I want to see then you kind of feel that you're not kind of you're winning in life aren't you really Definitely. So I think you've both mentioned some really great self-care, that kind of having a pamper or just even the basics of having your hair cut, you feel like a million dollars afterwards, don't you? That therapeutic chat with your, your hairdresser as well. And Jen, that relational aspect of care. I think we are, you know, human beings that like to be around um, other people as well, which is great for self-care. So can you share with us a book that you've been reading? Oh, yes. I've just, I've not quite finished, but I've nearly finished. And it's fantastic. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's nonfiction, but it's called Bad Gaze. Um, and my boyfriend bought it for me because I, I think it was it, was it Valentine's Day? I got him a card and he didn't get me a card because he was like, I didn't know we were getting cards. And I was like, well, it's only a card. It's not like, it's not like I've bought you like a ring or anything. But then he felt bad. So the week after he said, I bought you a book which is this bad gaze book and it's really good it's it's about people who from history who were not that nice but were gay because and it's kind of challenging this idea because in the in the sort of lgbtq movement obviously we're always talking positively about you know you know about uh, about how like you know in, in moving towards liberation and so if it's all like this positive talk and actually this book's kind of going like yeah but we don't often talk about we erase the people that we want to forget you know from history who were like murderers and you know and imperialists and kind of um warmongers and all this kind of stuff so it's just a really fascinating book and i'm a bit of a, a, a nerd like that so i love i've just loved reading it it's really really great i highly recommend it 
I'm really, really bad and I don't really read that much anymore. I always used to. Um, so I, I couldn't really tell you the last time I sat down with a book. I've tried, I'm getting a Kindle. I've said I wanted a Kindle for Christmas and I'm going to start reading because I think that's another thing. By the time you get in, I'm either trying to finish off things that I didn't get finished at work time or I'm just generally, it's all the chaos of trying to sort yourself out for the next day really, isn't it? So it is something that I'll put on my to-do list. But yeah, I can't even... And I'm trying to think of a book that I have read that I really enjoyed, and I have read a lot. I can't, I can't even tell you. <laughs> you need to, you know what I do? I've just started going to bed really early. I'm like in bed by like uh, nine o'clock. I'm like, right, walk the dogs bed so I can get some reading in. But normally, I, 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 I go with the intention of going to read, yeah, and I just fall asleep. Definitely. <laughs> At the weekends as well, I think when the you know, when things are quieter, I can just sit there and read my book. That's the plan. I feel like autumn is really good for reading. As it, as it gets a bit darker outside, autumn's the reading. This is, I feel it, Jen. This is going to be, you're going to get back into your reading. Absolutely. I'll let you know. <laughs> so finally, guys, the last question. And this is a huge question to finish on. So feel free to pause, take your time. Magic wand question time is what it is. So if time, money, resources were not an issue, what would you like to see done differently in the world? Wow. <laughs> I think I know what mine would be. I think I'm 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 really I'm kind of really, really frustrated at the the lack of political will to change our dependence on fossil fuels and to move towards a more sustainable economy. I think it's really disheartening to go, we know that the world is heating. We know that we're, it's not, it's not like we've got 10 years. It's like, it's now, it's happening. And to see, you know, our current prime minister come into power and immediately, uh, you know, approve fracking sites that had already, that had been kind of shelved. Um, you know, it just says, it makes it really hard you know i i've i became a vegetarian to reduce my my impact i decided not to have children you know i don't drive a car i try and cycle you know, i try and do all my bits i try and recycle i try and be as i minimize my impact on the planet as much and then you see something like that and you go is it what's the point so i think it would be to change that and we have to to change that as well i think we have to change this whole idea that of economic growth like that we always need to keep growing that that is our marker of success and I think it would be to change our perception, maybe to what's up, what does it look like if we measure our society against, you know, happiness or, you know, or like levels of education, you know, or like, you know, work-life balance. And I think, so I would, what I want to do basically is pull down capitalism and get rid of fossil fuels um, and build a greener, more equitable society. There you go. Follow that, Jen. <laughs> Jen, I just want, I want world peace. Yeah, that's it. The end to everything that is nasty to people. I, I guess, you know, and again, I can probably talk from the people that I, I'm going to see on a day-to-day -day basis, and I think equality, really, and whether that is from wherever they come from, you know, as you say, everyone needs to be treated the same as everyone. Everyone should have the same rights to you know, treatment, services, everything, you know, and again, that's your, if you had any money and anything, you know, it's, we have people that kind of disengage from care because they get a bill 
to pay for their hospital, but they can't pay for their hospital. How can they pay for, you know, hospital treatment when it's, they're here because they're asylum seeker or, you know, so if I could change anything, it's all that. Um, and just let people kind of, they're trying, they're really trying, just let them try and let them do what they're trying to do, you know, as, as best they can do. I think from, that's probably one thing to follow what Nathaniel completely agree. I'll go on the back of Nathaniel and take equality for everything else. And then a little bit of world peace as well. That will also help. Sounds wonderful, guys. I really wish I had a magic wand and I'm going to try really hard now um, to make those wishes come true. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us on HIV Matters. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest and to you for listening to this episode of HIV Matters. I don't know if you're anything like me and are busy writing down the lovely book suggestions made in our show. That's why HIV Matters have teamed up with bookshop.org to bring all these fantastic books to you in one unique place. To find out more about this and how to access the bookstore, please check out today's show descriptions. Today's edition of HIV Matters has been brought to you via an unrestricted educational grant from Vive Healthcare and Gilead Sciences. Gilead and Vive have had no input into guests or topics. HIV Matters is the official podcast of the National HIV Nurses Association. For more information about the National HIV Nurses Association, head over to www.nivna.org. Thanks again for listening to our show. We hope to see you next time and together we can make a difference.